GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Well, hello everybody. Once again, um, David Wilkinson, and I'm here again with uh, Paul Elmsley. Paul is the founder and the CEO of the National Skin Cancer Centres, and Paul has um, a lot of experience, uh, probably too much sometimes in his own mind. He's been at it for so long of experience with um, building and running and developing uh, medical practices, particularly in the form of, of skin cancers. And our, our focus today is actually on um, the doctor who is the owner of um, usually one, one practice that may have, you know, two, three, four, five, six other doctors working in there, some admin staff, some maybe some nursing staff. Our, our focus is, is on that group uh, today. Um, Paul, just as, a, as an opener for that, you've interacted with um, very many doctors who own their practices. Um, most of them are, are single practice owners, of course, but what are the, the, the most common things that you've experienced with them as the, the things that cause them pain outside of their clinical work, the, the practice management stuff? Well, thank you, David, and thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, look, I, I think the, the number one thing that comes across generally when I talk to people is, is mainly related to humans, uh, whether that's, you know, with doctors and particularly the recruitment of, of good doctors is, you know, probably the number one challenge. Um, the second one, obviously, is obviously having a really good support team uh, to support the practice. So I tend to find that most of the sort of core challenges tend to be people related, which are difficult challenges because obviously everybody is different and have different views of the world, et cetera. Um, and then probably outside of that is uh, probably around the, the automation of processes to save time. I mean, ultimately there is definitely some really great tools out there that can help save time and, and make things, you know, work a lot more efficiently, particularly when communicating with our patients. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's great. So let's start with the human problem. Um, maybe initially if we, Leave, let's leave the doctors to one side and, and, and focus today, if we can, on um, how the doctor clinic owner should um, approach the hiring and then the leading and managing of, um, let's go for non-clinical staff in the clinic, practice managers, admin support, receptionists, etc. What are your thoughts on that? What have, what have you learned over the Almost what, 20 years you've been doing this? Yeah, uh, 20, 21 or two now, David, thanks. And 30, 30, 30, <laughs> plus, 30 plus clinics later. Um, look, I think that, um, look, the, the, the key thing, as you know, is that what you want in a practice is, you know, is obviously good people. And I'll use the term A players, right? Because I think people can understand an A player is obviously a much better than a B player or a C player. So, so as a, you know, as a practice, you know, we want to have A players in all the roles and, you know, you defined obviously an A player is somebody who obviously has, I suppose, the, the technical skills and also the behavioral skills uh, to, to obviously excel in their role. Yeah. So one of the first things I suggest people do is to document what would be the key characteristics or let's say performance outcomes of any particular role. So let's say practice manager, you know, receptionist, you know, you can use the same thing for nursing, you know, the, the key elements that are important in that in those particular areas. 
And the reason for sort of documenting it is to be clear in your head and also in the practice manager's mind, you know, what a great person would look like if they were in that role. And there's obviously certain right. things, you know, once again, sort of certain outcomes, you know, obviously they might need to be able to juggle multiple things or be able to use, you know, uh, EMR um, or admin related, uh, you know, software efficiently, you know, there, there's sorts of things in there that are important, but there's also soft skills. So there's also like, you know, their attitude and temperament, you know, do they have a, a good work ethic? You know, I mean, are they going to do, uh, you know, they got, I'll use the word intelligence, you know, do they have the ability to solve problems or deal with, you know, conflict if a you know unhappy patient is in front of them, you know, how they would do that. So the first thing definitely is to document what the ideal candidate would look like. And there's some very basic uh, scorecards uh, or processes you can look up. If you actually look up, um, the A method of hiring, which is based on a book called Who uh, by uh, uh, Jeff Smart and, um, and Randy Street, it'll basically, you could be Google that, you'll find uh, the perfect template for that. Um, the, the other thing really is that once you understand what the, what the ideal person looks like, is that when you're interviewing somebody, you're asking questions about their previous experiences that relate to what you're trying to achieve, you know, with that person. And through that, you know, you can ask them questions like, you know, tell me about a time when you've had a disgruntled patient at the front counter, how did you deal with that, right? Because, you know, bear in mind, once again, these are people that are dealing with people and you need to get a, a good understanding as to, you know, their headspace and how they would uh, manage these particular situations. So come up with, you know, two or three common situations that are a bit of a challenge. And when you're interviewing people, ask them the same questions. So whenever you interview somebody, Make sure you've written down the questions you're going to ask. Ask all the candidates the same questions, and then at the end of it, rate their responses once again as an A, B, or C. It'll yeah. help you then as you're interviewing lots of people to come at the end of it and go, well, that person got you know eight A's and two B's. That's clearly much better than the other person who got you know five A's, two B's, and a few C's. Yeah. So that's sort of the the first step in that that process. The good thing about also the scorecard is when you do performance reviews, you can pull that out and then you can obviously manage, you know, judge how they have gone. Um, because when you employ people, you are sort of a best guess, you know I mean? You don't really know because you, you can't really test them too much in that particular situation. Yeah. So um, that's sort of the first thing. Once again, identify um, what, what, you know, a good performer is in that role. The second part is that when you bring somebody on is make sure that you onboard them properly, give them all the, you know, run of the land and understand who the people are, you know, all those sorts of things. So don't just throw them on the front desk and say, good luck with that. Have a proper onboarding structure, just as bullet points and get your practice manager to manage that process. And then the other thing you need to do is sit down and talk to your people. I mean, as a, as a small practice owner, you should put the time aside to sit down with them, you know, once a quarter. I mean, when, I, when we bring on new people into the practice, we talk to them into the first week, the second week, the third week, the fourth week, just to find out how they're going and maybe things that we've missed or, or they're not quite clear on, yeah. um, but constantly touching base with them because ultimately, you know, just to get that honest feedback will help them a lot more and also help you understand how you're obviously performing in, in bringing people into your business. Paul, Paul, let me um, ask you then, I mean, a lot of, um, certainly in the past, but also still, uh, a lot of practices will employ family and friends. Mm. Pros and cons? Oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, look, you know, so we, we have the same situation. Um, look, the, the, the pros are, you know, trust, right? So one is, is generally, 
um, you know, if they, they come from a trusted source, you know, versus call it a, a random from out in the, the wild is that you can probably trust them a little bit more. The biggest problem you're going to have, though, is, is if they don't turn out to be the right person, exiting them is horrible, right? Because ultimately, it doesn't affect one person, it now affects two. So, you know, if you've got a, an older staff member and their daughter starts working or something like that at the practice, you know, for some reason, the daughter doesn't work out, you're potentially going to lose two people through that process. Um, you know, th th that's the good thing about having a scorecard or something to measure someone's performance. Because if someone's not performing, you can point to it, right? Yeah. So that if they're you know, in that situation, let's say the daughter isn't performing, you then can share that with their you know, mother or, or other family member, you know, why they would be let it go you know, in that situation. And hopefully they can see what you can see in that situation. So I generally would avoid it at all costs. But you know, I know, you know, for example, I know in our practices, we do have you know, family members in there. And you know, generally, it's fine. It's just more that um, particularly if it's the practice manager's family member, that even becomes even harder because obviously having uncomfortable conversations whilst they're probably very used to it um, can obviously have an impact at home and not just in the workplace. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's right. And, and you know, employment uh, is, is a minefield anyway, right? And, and if employing family and, and friends, I think it would be fair to say, just compounds the challenges. And you're right, I think, you know, avoid it if you can. The problem is, you know, there are often tax incentives, for example, to do it, aren't there? There's, uh, you know, other kind of, um, you, you know, incentives around, around, around doing this. Um, it's difficult to have sort of hard and fast rules on this, but in, in your overall experience, would, would you say, you know, try and avoid family and friends? Oh, look, I, only because once again, you don't tend to lose one person, you lose two if you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, the answer is definitely avoid it at all costs. Now, I'll also say that finding good people is very, very hard, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we all know how difficult it is to recruit a good doctor. I mean, it's also almost as difficult to recruit, recruit a good, you know, nurse or receptionist or practice manager. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when, you, when you're going through the recruitment process, you know, I mean, the average recruitment process time, if you're interviewing somebody and they'll call it in the, the last round of candidates, you probably should be spending an hour and a half with them, right? And it's not go through their resume and all that sort of stuff. It's asking them questions to see how they react, you know, to them. So I'm just conscious that, um, you know, doing a lot of work on the way in is going to save you a lot of pain on the way out, right? Because if you just do some sort of casual, I know you, you know, you've worked somewhere else before, you'll be fine. Uh, put them in the role, find out they're not, well, you have to unwind all that and then go and start all over again. So don't ever, uh, you know, skip on the, the process of the, you know, the recruiting and interviewing because it will cost you significantly in the future. Yeah. All right. That's great advice. Let, let, in the time we've got left, let's, let's move on to uh, your advice on sort of simple systems and processes that, that the, the doctor clinic owner can use perhaps both on site and off site, as it were, to, to, to help them along. I mean, you know, <clears throat> technology keeps advancing. Um, I, I guess most most you know clinic owners in the past would have an accountant and bookkeeper and, and bits and pieces, but but you you've you've seen things change dramatically from 
you know, online booking systems all the way through to performance dashboards and all the rest of it. How, how does somebody who's running one clinic go about making sensible use of all of that? So, I mean, the, the key thing is really is that there are very simple sort of plugins, add-ons, whatever you like to call them, that you can access, which can automate a lot of your processes. I mean, for example, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, um, is that, you know, let's say the process of confirming appointments, okay? In the old days, it was either we just trusted they would turn up or I'd have to get somebody on the phone to try and get hold of a patient. Um, most of the software nowadays, and, and particularly with plugins, and I mean, we use HotDoc, and I'll, I'll just speak probably from our example, yeah. is that, you know, we can send SMSs to obviously for reminders, patients can click on the button, it confirms they've got the appointment. And that just means that if we then need to follow people up, you know, 50, 60, 70% people have responded to the SMS, we know that there's only the other 30% that we then need to possibly follow up. Now, ultimately, it really depends on your practice. If, if a patient's, you know, booked an appointment for a day or two's time, they're probably most likely to turn up. But we also know that we do sell time as a business, right? So if someone doesn't yeah. turn up, yeah. you know, you, you lose that opportunity, right? Now, if you're very busy, it probably doesn't matter so much. But, um, you know, it is something which is quite important. So definitely automating, you know, the appointments. So, you know, you can now obviously get online appointment software. So once again, don't have to ring, ring the phone. Um, patients can book appointments 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, through that system. So, and depending, and they all, you know, integrate whether you've got, you know, medical director or, or, or Praxsoft and uh, best practice, um, you know, they do have the ability to integrate once again, on, you know, online. So definitely appointment bookings is a big one. SMS reminders definitely is another big one. The other thing that we do is we um, send them the registration form prior for yeah. them to fill in. So this once again, HotDoc for us does this. So that, you know, we don't have them coming in and then filling in a paper form and then have to type it into the, uh, you know, into, into our system. If it's a new patient, they can fill out all that online for us and we can import it. So, you know, saves them time and saves us time. Um, and the other thing that we'd have automated is also our MPS surveys. So this is our customer satisfaction surveys we send um, right. after the patient's been in our practice. So. They get an SMS after they've uh, they've left to say, you know, would you refer family or friends to our practice and give us a score out of ten and some comments, um, and then we get the practice manager to review those every morning uh, from the day before. Right. So there's sort of some very simple things where you know the old days of filling in a paper form and then having to ring every patient and do all these sorts of things can be automated and are very simple to put in place. So just reach out once again to. Uh, whoever you're using for your, you know, administration software and find out what companies they work with from plugins. I mean, right. it does cost you a few dollars, but if you work out what somebody costs to pick up a phone and try and get people on their mobiles to confirm things, et cetera, you'll find obviously it's a, you know, a thousand times cheaper. Okay. A any other, any other sort of key tech automation advice before we, before we close this one off? Well, I don't think from a tech perspective, not necessarily. I mean, look, you know, there's obviously been, you know, teleconsultations, which I think most people are aware of with, with COVID. And as we know, we've, the rules on what we're going to be allowed to do now or into the future are sort of still slightly up in the air. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that patients want convenience, right? Yep. Patients don't want to sit around waiting for something where they could, you know, click a button and have a, you know, five minute conversation and have it dealt with. So, 
I think that whilst you know COVID accelerated the the access, I suppose, to telemedicine uh, as such, I think that's something which is going to be part of the future, and more significantly, particularly with the younger generations who do want instantaneous information and uh, and uh, results. So I think that if you if you haven't got that in place, you need to be in mind, you know, be mindful that in five years' time it'll be just part of what you do. So yeah. whether the patient's standing in front of you or whether you're you know dialing up with them. That'll be basically the same thing as far as the patient's concerned. And look, you know, there's obviously certain patients we do need to have in front of us so we can poke and prod and, and obviously learn more about their problems. But there's obviously plenty of other things, you know, repeat scripts or other things like that, which obviously we don't necessarily need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only other last piece of advice really for, for practice owners, and this is a, a challenge because obviously we understand that everyone's time poor, is setting aside time, whether it's every week, every month, whatever it happens to be, to work on your business, not in your business. Um, most practice owners really struggle with the fact that they're probably the probably the busiest doctor in the building, and as far as that they're, uh, you know, with patients and probably been there the longest and have the, you know, probably the most demand on them. Yeah. But the ability to stand back and look at what you've got, where you're going, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, if you've been talking to your staff, taking that feedback on board and then working out how you would apply that into your practice uh, is critically important because, we, you know, what we find with most practice owners is we're busy, busy, busy. We get to the end of the financial year. Months later, the accountant tells us whether we made money or not. And then we just step and repeat and step and repeat. I mean, ultimately, anyone who owns a business should understand why they're in the business of, you know, running a practice or owning a practice. So, so is it for lifestyle reasons, you know, you like to be the owner and be in control, or is it you want to make, you know, a good return for your time and money investment? So be very clear as to what you're trying to achieve and then secondarily map it out. So at the end of the year, you can say, hey, we did achieve our goals. You know, we grew this or we put in these new services or, you know, all of those sorts of things, because otherwise you just get sort of buried in the, the mess that is running a business. And you've got no real idea if I'm actually getting anywhere or I've had any success. And I think that most of us are driven people that would like to see what success looks like, even if it's incremental. But you know, you'd want to think every year is getting better, right? We're not going backwards. Yeah. And if you don't have a plan that you've sort of created around getting better, now whether that's operationally, whether that's financially, or whatever it happens to be, but you know, just taking that those small moments of time to stand back, work with your practice manager, of course, because they're the ones who are going to be doing a lot of the execution of this. But really stand back and in a very simple form go right here's where we are here's where we want to go these are the, the actions we're going to have to take if we're going to achieve this and just make sure that those things are being done because as i said everyone just gets sucked in the world of too busy and things just don't get done as far as moving things forward the wheel keeps spinning doesn't it yeah it's look it's it's hard because as you know you could have a, a you know a doctor resign with minimal notice and then you're you know in a state of you know, flurry, you know, same with, with good people as you go. But that's why talking to people is critically important because you can pick up the warning signs early and address them versus someone walks in and just resigns and then you've lost one of your best people. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Um, great, great stuff there and some very, uh, very tangible um, advice there that, that colleagues can, can implement. And we look forward to the next one. Thanks so much. Always happy to help. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.